Hey everyone, this is Kevin Islin, and you are listening to another episode of Folk Stories. Folk Stories is a podcast where we have long form conversations with founders, innovators, and top performers. We talk about how they got here, what they do, and the stories that they have to share. Today, my guest is Bao Tran, a professional filmmaker currently raising money for his first feature film, Paper Tigers. A quote, Kung Fu indie feature film about three guys who are one kick away from pulling their hamstrings. End quote. Despite knowing that he wanted to do film from watching Kung Fu movies as a kid, Bao got a degree in computer science, as it was the responsible thing to do for someone that is the child of immigrants. This tension between following your dreams and doing what is expected is one that is explored further both in Paper Tigers and in Bao's life. Outside of Paper Tigers, Bao's editing credits include Cholan, one of Southeast Asia's highest-budgeted action blockbusters, and Jackpot, a heartfelt comedy selected as Vietnam's official entry to the 2016 Oscars for Best Foreign Film. In today's episode, we talk about Kung Fu and the action movie genre, we talk about what it's like to fundraise for a film, and we talk about telling a good story and what that might mean. And now, without any further ado, I give you... Bao Tran. Bao, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Uh, the first thing I want to ask you is how you got into film. So I noticed that you have a background in CS, but now you're into filmmaking. Did you always know that you wanted to do film or is something you discovered? Um, yeah, getting into film is funny. I, I almost feel I'm a late bloomer relative to some people who were handed the camera out of the womb. I think Spielberg started when he was seven or eight. But uh, I guess I didn't really get the bug until I was about 10 or 11. <laughs> and um, yeah, I watched a lot of movies as a kid, as a Vietnamese-American uh, immigrant. Uh, we'd watch a lot of Hong Kong uh, movies and TV serials and, you know, all sundry of items. Uh, so I started watching, I watched a lot of Bruce Lee growing up as a kid. Um, but honestly, uh, I enjoyed it and I really enjoyed his martial arts and his charisma and his ability. But it wasn't until I saw Jackie Chan that I wanted to actually make it, you know? So it was kind of crossing the threshold from kind of a viewer and a fan into like, wow, how do I do this? Um, there's just something unique about what Jackie Chan did as far as the tempo and the rhythm. And you, you could just feel the texture of the filmmaking uh, where here's where you saw Bruce Lee and here's Bruce Lee. He's just such a spectacle of human being. But Jackie Chan, you just felt like every time he got hit and it had to do with a cut or a sound effect, so that was that was what really kind of got me my gears going as far as getting excited about film. So yeah, so I just started making films, kind of reenacting Jackie Chan fight scenes or fight scenes in general, or doing stuff in school where it was was a written assignment. I'd be like, hey, can I do a video? Just kind of like change it up or do something, have any reason or excuse to make a, a video or film. So back then we had you know parents camcorders or the school camcorders that you would check out, and that's how we made movies. Do you remember in the early days when you were doing fight scenes, um, what did you learn about doing fight scenes as far as like what is good versus <laughs> like what ends up punching your friend actually in the face? Yeah, um, you learn pretty quickly. <laughs> You're, you start learning pretty quickly. Oh, they don't really hit each other um, in the movies. And there's ways to kind of like uh, what we call stacking and you kind of use the angle to obscure uh, the hit. And it looks like uh, when the person like flings their head back, they just got hit. Um, a lot of that was a bit DIY. It was a lot of bit of um, trial and error of messing up and, you know, maybe hitting a few noses and <laughs> trying to see uh, maybe that wouldn't work. Maybe you could back up and do the same thing and that kind of works. So it was a lot of that because, um, yeah, there was really no, at that time, especially for action stuff, there was really no resource other than learning and watching from action movies and stuff on TV and, and film. There's no YouTube, right? There's no tutorials at time to really break down how you do stuff. So, yeah, it was definitely a tinkering stage um, for me to understand that. And then when you went to school, you ended up uh, not doing film, but CS. Yeah. And um, I'm wondering what went behind that decision. Ride the wave, baby. Computer science. Trying to ride the bubble. <laughs> was that during the dot-com? <laughs> that was... Um, yeah, it was kind of at the time, I think it, for me, I wanted to make movies, but it wasn't quite a time that I was ready to kind of make that leap as far as with family expectations and whatnot. So computer science felt like it was a good compromise or a middle 
but I clearly had no knack from day one to do computer science. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I was making movies while I was going to school. Um, and I already had a short film by the time I was graduating. And then once then, I just kind of never looked back. So I've never used my computer science to any professional degree. And uh, I'm sure I could code something in C. But that's it. So, um, yeah, I just remember we had a lot of great friendships in college. Um, a lot of people kind of helped me through. They knew that I wasn't really made of cloud of the same cloth and made of the same material to like be a CS guy. Um, but they can, they helped me through homework. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> just uh, get me through the degree. I think college is, I mean, like you get so much more than just a degree. It's the people that you meet, the connections that you form. It is. Well, it's interesting in CS, especially because like I mentioned, there was a bubble and there was kind of a people kind of, it, it was kind of a speculative degree in a lot of ways. So I saw the people who were coming back as their second degrees or second careers. So even then I started to realize like, oh, wait a minute. Well, what did you study the first time you were undergrad and something totally different? And I already knew like 90% of the people who do whatever they study for undergrad or declare a major that are not going to end up doing or using that degree. So I always had kind of a, I guess, a jaundiced view of college um, from the, even from then. So. Um, you mentioned that... Then I saw the bill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah get out American private education. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned that you know one of the reasons you went into CS was, well, yeah, immigrant families, expectations, and whatnot. And I remember like when I was applying for college, my parents wanted me to be a doctor. Yeah. Um, surprise, surprise. And, because, and they actually didn't want me to go into CS because this was after .com. And sure. it's like, you know, yeah. how are you going to make money in software? Yep. Um, but, I mean, definitely, like, as an immigrant, like, there are a lot of expectations on you. And how, like... Did you, uh, did your parents, how did you break the news to your parents that, you know, like you were going to do film and how have they taken that? Um, it wasn't great, but they came around and like just kind of full story sh uh, short, you know, they do really come around and become my biggest fans and supporters, uh, my whole family really. Um, but it was a surprise. I think, especially for Vietnamese Americans specifically who come from war and a real like strife and escape you know on a, on a boat they were they were part of that boat people generation in the late 70s um it's a real streak of survival and survivor uh, mentality and doing what's practical and doing what is needed to provide for your family so that's a huge thing that you know you grow up with and a huge um, how would you say expectation that you're also supposed to grow into because it's almost like they haven't really learned how to sit down and just breathe and relax and enjoy themselves. Even You're though, showing that refugee mindset of like everything yeah, could come any, down. Well, anything, yeah, the rug could get pulled under you at any time, you know, this, you know, hold, hold your money under your mattress and all that stuff. So not that I have money under my mattress, so don't come knocking. Um, but uh, yeah, just, it is a very much, um, yeah, John's view of how we live in this world and the country and just like, you know, nothing is permanent. And you're always going to have to find your way to earn your keep around this world. Um, so that is a very strong, imbues a very strong work ethic. And I think I definitely got something like that and appreciative of that. But on the other side, it's also like there's no time to breathe. There's no time to just enjoy the sunset. Or So art and music and entertainment, it's funny. It's very, it's always very, um, I'm sure, how would you say, very function-based, like, you play the piano or the violin so that you can put it on your resume. <laughs> so especially, that you get into college. Yeah, yeah. especially if you're coming from an immigrant family. Yes. So. What did you play? I played the piano. I played uh, the violin very poorly. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, but there was never appreciate the music. It was never just like, learn this so you can play. Yeah, it was no, just No, there's a goal in mind. It's how can this guarantee your economic security later like, yeah. on? Yeah. So it's, it's one of those ironies where you, you did grow up with arts and music and culture, but it just felt very co-opted or very much uh, functionalized to a point. Um, so that was the hardest thing for me um, to try to really understand what's, what does an artist do and what does a storyteller do in this world. And you do have to compete. You do have to be able to make your case of why stories are important. Anyway, so long story short, back to the family. Uh, yeah, they didn't take it too well. But because I had... Um, already filmed that I was making my whole senior, pro that was my senior project, but I made a short film by the time I graduated and I had something to show for it. I think again, speaking to that work ethic, because 
I wasn't just going to go like, oh, I just want to make movies and just kind of sit around and not do anything. But I already had something to show. I already was going to submit it to film festivals and I already had like things to things to demonstrate for it. Um, I think that was the beginning of how they got to be convinced. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't overnight. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, yeah, and yeah. you put some thought into it and it's not that I'm going to pack all my bags and be a hippie, but yeah. I've thought this through. Yeah, well, I was already doing it. I mean, like, I guess, I don't know whether it's an Asian thing, but I like being under the radar, and I like not having a lot of expectations, and just do it, and then you surprise people. Like, I don't like talking about things. It's very hard to do, longer story short, you know, it's very hard for me, honestly, to do Kickstarter or do anything social media when the movie's not done yet, because it's just that, it's a twist of my mindset to have to kind of, like, open myself up and be that vulnerable. Yeah. So, but Um, I just like to do it. Don't say about, don't talk about it, be about it. Just make the work, do it, and then like put it out there. And that's, um, I still have that. That's at the core, but it's still trying to manage living and floating in this world. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's the opposite of salesmanship Mm -hmm. where like you, um, at least for me also, it's just this idea of like, until I actually like do something, like I don't want to talk about it because it's like, it's not something I've done. I don't feel like I deserve it. It's nothing's there yet. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, recently I, left a big tech company to do my own business and a lot of it is like marketing and salesmanship mm-hmm. and oh my god it's like the thing that i'm most uncomfortable at and <laughs> um it's definitely just it runs counter i think to like a lot of what we've been told and a lot of the sort of values that have been viewed on us yep yeah i can't uh, i can't preach it enough it's a it's a learning process for for me i told you that as far as just being done kind of embrace and especially movies when it's you know probably the most visible and the most public type of art form and it's just so out there that there is that but there's a reason i'm a director and not an actor there's a reason we're behind the camera and not. so but your anonymity can only get you so far so have you found that now that you're a little bit more in the spotlight and you're doing kickstarter campaigns and you're asking for funding like what um has helped you like do this thing that you know normally you probably wouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, help me as far as uh, motivate or motivate you or like um, make it possible for you to do this. Like what I found is like when I first started, I, I would get really exhausted, like just yeah. talking to people and realize like I needed to take a break. So like if I was in the middle of a conversation, and I was feeling it. I'd say like I want to go to the bathroom and just like hang out there for a while. <laughs> but I don't like. Do you have any special like um, routines or like things that you find that make this less uncomfortable for you? <clears throat> Uh, no, it's never less comfortable. I think you, the more you do it, it's, it's by repetition, you start to build that muscle. Um, I think the motivator is really my producers kind of kick me in the pants to try to get out there because you are the face of the film, whether you like it or not at this stage until there's actors, then hopefully they become, <laughs> but even then it's not in an indie film. It's really always the filmmaker. So, um, yeah, I think it's just trying to understand and film as a collaborative meeting medium versus, uh, you know, writing a poem or a book, it's, it's all kind of solely author centric, you know, but for film, you have a lot of people you have to contend with and be accountable to as a team. Um, so yeah, I can't say I really had a real motive, but I just, by necessity, we all kind of like found ourselves here to be able to do it. Um, I love talking about the film. I love talking about the work and I love talking about what I have. I think when you're starting to do a little more salesy and try to like, I guess, what's the word? If they're not getting it, <laughs> then there's that's where the frustration part is because their agendas are not the same as you. And that's trying to realize what salesmanship is. It's also understanding, trying to feel what, what they need. And um, what do you do in that moment when mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about the film, but the other party doesn't get it? Yeah. What do you do now? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wish I read more sales books, to be honest, because I don't, I think it feel, it's very instinctual. I think the basis of me is, as a storyteller, you're trying to make sure the story lands, or at least they understand why you want to tell the story, or why you need to tell this, mo- they'll make this movie now. Um, I think when you just feel the attention wandering, that's one thing, then like, that's something that you could polish within your pitch, if you will, and that's more me- mechanical. Um, but if they're not thinking in the same wavelength as far as if they're thinking risk or ROI or, you know, well, why can't you do it like 
why can't you just get Jackie Chan in your Kung Fu movie or something like that? Then it's kind of like, we're probably not going to work well together. And it's, it's really, you start picking up all those cues and start to realize like maybe this conversation is for the better that we end now. So you don't have to win every pitch or win every conversation or win every person in the room. I think it's also finding clarity about, you know, what everybody's there for. I think that's, that's something that can keep you going. Otherwise you can get real in the pits fast. If you know, you if people aren't vibing with you and you think, Oh, it's like, Oh, it's terrible. Something's wrong. It's like, no, maybe it's just not the right match yet. Yeah. Pick your battles and pick you know, battles. know that there's always more right. coming up. Yeah. Well, it goes back to kind of the, that work ethic of just kind of like, you just got to keep grinding, keep knocking on the next door. Cause it's not, you know, they're not, it's not going to be the first one. Yeah, pulls off. So, um, you talked about you know, figuring out the stories that you want to tell, and I'm curious for yourself as a director, what stories do you want to tell? What is uh, like your style or mm. your aesthetic or the things that you hope to um, convey through your films? Um, yeah, to me, I, I start with theme, and I think about I am I do like action movies. Action movies are kind of my my jam, if you will. Uh, but I do think about theme a lot, especially with films that I like, with like Terminator, or Aliens, or old Raiders of the Lost Ark, or many Die Hard. Just all these things had had stories or had kind of a theme to the characters that was happening, um, and it was also kind of a journey for all these heroes to kind of go through. Like there's a whole theory about uh, you know Joseph Campbell's hero story yeah, hero and the difference yeah, between heroes of a thousand faces stories, and whatnot. Yeah. So I think those are very um, powerful, and if you're mindful of that, you can make your stories even more uh, meaningful and entertaining at the same time. So it's not at one at the expense of another. It doesn't get preachy, but it should be entertaining, but also like land with some weight. Um, so that's what I'm really interested in. I think especially with action movies, it's kind of a very kind of a very throwaway genre and it's very done very cheaply and very quickly so it's very hard to be um it's a pretentious word artisanal about it <laughs> we're in seattle you we're in seattle. i'm in seattle i get i get i get the bona fides yeah um or elevated genre that's another kind of another obnoxious way of calling genre it's just calling good movies just quality movies just <laughs> that's what we just want to do um but yeah just to give it a little more care and attention than just like wham bam thank you ma'am just all this action and explosions that don't really matter to anything um yeah so i just want to be able to have something that has some some meaning to it that people hopefully who don't like action movies can can also enjoy i think that's really important when um so we've talked uh, a lot around your latest film and so i figure we can just go right into it and so you are currently raising money to shoot, I think, your first feature film, yep. Paper Tigers. And um, first of all, why don't you describe a little bit about what it's about and why you felt like you needed to make it? Oh, yeah. Okay. So the Paper Tigers is a independent action kung fu comedy that will be my first feature to direct. Um, it's about these three out-of-shape kung fu fighters who have grown apart and grown old. Um, and they've estranged themselves from each other and their master. But then they find out their master is killed and they have to avenge him. But now they're out of shape and they got kids, they got jobs, they got wives. So um, it's kind of it's a real underdog story about trying to put up with the responsibilities of adulting, but also not being ready for it yet. So <laughs> uh, the way we call it is like kind of imagine Bruce Lee in his midlife crisis, just everything's falling apart for him, but he's trying to get back to his former glory it's like the second coming of age <laughs> already yeah exactly answered. yeah so i just thought it was really interesting i thought it was interesting for me from you know like i said with film you have a lot of people who you might start out with earlier on but they kind of go their separate ways or they go civilian as we say um it's just the industry is very tough and it's very hard to, to keep and continue doing this so I see a lot of friends that I thought, like, oh, my God, this is great. We'll be making movies together for the rest of our lives. So there's a lot of bittersweetness seeing everyone go and you become the field, like, winnowing down. And it's just getting tougher and tougher. Um, so I just thought of trying to, you know, channel that into a fun kung fu movie just about these guys who have kind of wandered far from their original path and values and having to put it all back together. Yeah, it 
Um, I think that hits close to like a lot of different fields. Like one thing that reminded me of is I used to compete um, in cross country and track, mm. and um, I um, our school was pretty good. I was pretty good. You know, we did regionals and state. And then, but the people on my team were like better than me <laughs> as well. And basically, none of us went to compete on in college, <laughs> yeah, because it was just you know these were people that um, because it's just a different level. And like at every phase, it, the field gets smaller and smaller, and less and less people do it. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just uh, yeah, you see, <clears throat> it's a wonderful life. I always kind of go back to that film because it's uh, it's. Uh, you know, everyone thinks of it as being very cheery and very maybe even borderline hokey and optimistic at the end. But that movie goes places. It goes really dark places that a lot of people forget. Like, he was actually, George Bailey what, did commit suicide. And, you know, by the grace of these angels, you know, he's reversed his course. But, you know, the main character goes through a lot of crap. And there's a part where, it really, the whole film is about him getting frustrated about not being able to follow his adventure. Um, and he's constantly kept home or has to take care of the savings and loans and has to constantly cover for his brother who's actually going out and becoming a real war hero in the meantime anyway so long story short there was, comes to a scene where you know he catches up with his old friend who his wife could have married way back when but now he's super successful he's got a rich you know um factory and he's he rolls up in his nice rolls royce or car and there's just a moment where he george bailey just gets really pissed and he kicks the tire of his own car and just like it's like falls off or it's dented and whatnot. So it's a real, you know, forlorn moment because you, you are constantly comparing yourself to others, how they did. And did your life choices really bear out to the way that you want it to be? Um, yeah. So I, that theme is really interesting. Um, so that's why for this film, uh, really want to focus on, but again, in an entertaining, entertaining close, if you will. Yeah. And that also um, hits really close to home because I think, um, you know, I feel like, not painting too wide a wash, but this is also kind of true is like, I noticed that especially like in Asian immigrant families, like there's a lot of like from an early age, there's mm -hmm. a lot of comparisons going on. Oh yeah. Of, you know, like this oh, yeah. kid plays this instrument, that kid yeah, yeah. went to that school. Um, this kid is making this much money. So like, it's something that's like, it's very much primed into your subconscious. Um, and the other thing about it's a wonderful life. It reminds me of friends, where there was one episode where Phoebe was just really, really sad, and they told her, you should watch It's a Wonderful Life. And she did, and she was like, it is a terrible movie. Like, he lost everything, and he's going to commit suicide. And it's like, well, did you watch it to the end? And it's like, no, I didn't, because it's terrible. And it's because you're right. Like, yeah. That film goes into a really dark place, and you know, it's great that everything works out, but it could have just as well ended there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, just before we were talking about... Uh, us as a film team going and doing these corporate talks and um, going to companies talking about diversity and representation in film, but also speaking, you know, about our experiences making this film. But it's really interesting. And because there's a couple people that will come up and say hi kind of furtively after and be really excited about what we're doing and kind of share that, you know, oh, I did, I did film school or I did some film and arts in college and. I got this tech degree and I was going to work for a couple of years at tech and maybe raise some money so I can make a film. And here I am six years in or whatever. It's like, it's a really, it's almost them looking on the other side and there's a forlornness that you can kind of read as far as them. And just also, they're just also enthusiastic to see someone doing it, but we're, <laughs> we're, we're barely treading water here, but you know, we're doing it and we're do, making our own way. But uh, yeah, the grass is greener on the other side, but it's also that kind of comparing what could have been, I feel like, uh, when they talk to us. Um, and and I'll be honest, I compared it to I was like, wow, you guys are doing quite fine. I'm sure your um, Tech 5 company stock shares are doing quite fine. And <laughs> You got the 401 yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, we're insurance. struggling here to yeah. raise some money. Yeah, so it's, it's always just kind of like looking through the lens. But at the end of the day, it is a question of like, do you find satisfaction with where you are um do you feel that restlessness and there's one restlessness to kind of keep ambitioning and aiming higher in what you're doing but then there's a restlessness that you you're doing something that you really shouldn't be doing or your energy could be better spent elsewhere that's the type of restlessness that can really drain and take your life energy right so. yeah for sure 
Um, so you mentioned, you know, we talked about um, fundraising, mm. and I think that's not an aspect of making a film that most people, at least I wasn't aware of until I started hanging out with directors. Um, could you, you know, for people who are not familiar with the process, like what it actually takes to fund a film and like what are the stages, life cycles of a film? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the best analogy is a startup. Although films were around before startups, but maybe film was the original startup. So they're Schrodinger's cat. We just made it happen. So, yeah. Um, yeah, film can have many stages. I think the at the to make it really simple to understand, film is such a collaborative medium, medium, and it requires so many moving parts. And because there's so many moving parts, there are many moving costs associated with it. So um, at the very big, biggest level, you could have a studio that could bankroll a lot of that because they already have a lot of those mechanisms in place that scale to make movies and they just green light their actors. And way back in the day, they had a stable of actors. Literally, they had actors on a contract so they could just like pluck out, you know, whoever actor is to plug into this machine. Hmm. So that's as as uh, as efficient as you can be. Um, or you can be, you know, incredibly scrappy and find raise money independently to make your movie independently outside of any studio rules or studio um, stipulations and stuff like that. Um, so it can run the gamut. Um, cost is relatively kind of scales the same if you want to make a film on a certain level. Um, by that I mean sometimes because labor costs are fixed. Um, so it's just a really expensive. Movies are very expensive. We are considered low budget. Um, even though it is compared to a startup or something, it's actually you know more expensive than opening a restaurant or, or something like that. And what is a low-budget film? Uh, low-budget, I mean, it's just such a catch-all term. I think in terms of what uh, we have, the tiers is under $3 million is considered low-budget. Um, because, you know, the films can obviously go up to 20 40 60 100 right? Or if it's a Marvel film, easily more than that. So, yeah, so, I mean, all that scales in a weird, funky way, but really, at the end of the day... Um, you're raising this money basically by hook or by crook, either privately by investors uh, or you have film funds that can scale up and and pour, pour money into kind of bigger bigger projects. So, uh, yeah, so at the independent level, it's a lot of DIY uh, fundraising, and, and that's where kind of the resourcefulness kind of comes in. So you did a Kickstarter campaign that was pretty successful, and you raised over 100K on that. Um, is Well, first of all, it's like, what um, made you think about Kickstarter and what is it like raising money through Kickstarter? Like, what are your um, supporters expecting from this and how does it, what do you think of that relationship? Um, yeah, so Kickstarter was kind of this great equalizer in a lot of ways because when you're trying to, like I said, when you're trying to make an under $3 billion picture and try to pitch it to studios. They have certain models that you have to adhere to. You know, we basically pushed up against a lot of issues about cast because our film has characters of color, and our cast is pretty much primarily uh, wanted. We want to cast actors of color. Um, and you know, the simple math is: if you want a certain amount of money above, you know, in the millions, then you're going to have to have a white guy or a white lead or change your characters and that's kind of like the change that was asked or demanded of, of us um if we wanted you know to take to accept certain amounts of cash right so at the point when you kind of realize they have their model at this level and we have to kind of do this independently so that's kind of the the trade-off is that if you want to do it the movie the way you want it then you're gonna to have to find the money your own money because they're not going to give it to you because they have you know strings attached um, so Kickstarter was a way for us to kind of like break through that vicious cycle um, because we knew there was an audience for it, but the studios or people higher up didn't, couldn't quite justify it because they didn't have that data or visibility into, you know, well, how is this going to make money because you need a white guy. Um, so Kickstarter was kind of like, hey, we're going to create our audience. It's almost like we're just going to put our flag in the ground and Hopefully the community comes around that and we have the show up for us. So it was a little bit of a wing and a prayer. Um, there was not much research into how much money we should put as a goal. Because uh, um, as you may or may not know, Kickstarter is an all or nothing campaign. Um, so if you don't raise all your entire goal amount in the, the time of the campaign, you do not get any of it. So it is kind of like very much sink or swim. 
uh, for us, we needed to raise quite a bit of money. But then where do you set the number where you can get it realistically that you could actually hit? So that's kind of the fine line of, of what we do. And as we mentioned, Kickstarter is meant to be a catalyst. So it's meant to be part of the funds to get us to kind of like convince other people to pour more film, pour more money into the, the film. So it's a way to kind of like start it, a fire starter, Kickstarter, literally Kickstarter. So, um, um, yeah, so I mean, I think that was a very intense campaign. It was, uh, you learn a lot about yourself <laughs> psychologically and very, it's very, it's, it's, a uh, it's kind of like this therapeutic experience. I'm not sure if we would recommend it to anyone. <laughs> I think every time I tell friends who have done a Kickstarter that like, oh yeah, we were going to, we're going to do a Kickstarter. I remember them just giving me these faces of sheer PTSD and just <laughs> like, just stress washing over their faces and they're like oh yeah that's cool <laughs> so somebody who's never done a kickstarter yeah. but has been thinking about it sure tell me why should i not do a kickstarter uh well if you just have wads of cash that you can already just do the thing just do it and then <laughs> kickstarter but kickstarter has this other thing i mean I, th- I think their model is pretty smart even though we complain about it but their model is pretty smart because it is meant to be also a I don't want to say marketing, but like it just builds an audience. That's yeah, that's what I've heard. That it's you like, can walk into. Yeah, yeah, you can start to build up organically before the thing's already done, which again is kind of like counterintuitive to what we had we were talking about before. But it's building an audience and expectation, and even a relationship because you have rewards and you have kind of these things that you're on the hook to to give to them because they reward they support the project, and then you're accountable to them because now you have to you know you have to follow through. Um, it's funny, yeah. It's it's uh, just a tangent. You know, we have some conversations with, like I was saying, some investors who are a little bit more antsy about things, and they were like, "Well, how do I know you're not going to run away with my money?" <laughs> Which is like, fair, sure. But we just did a Kickstarter, and we have over 600 people who are going to murder us if we don't finish this film. It's like we're. It's one of those things where you're just out in the public now. You're now in the public square. And you're visible and you have a target on your back, whether you like it or not. So we better follow through and we better make this film. Um, so there's those kind of soft pushes or whatever you call them, these, those levers that we are motivated. Yeah, we don't have anything in the contract to say we're not going to run away with your money. But you just have to understand motivationally, we're, we're already there. We have our careers and our names that we leverage to put out this Kickstarter. We can't just, you know, run off of the, the funds. Yeah, I find that much more binding than any contract because you're putting your reputation on the line yeah and to that point you know you either get it or you don't so like i said again investors still doesn't really kind of understand that then they don't understand the spirit of kickstarter they don't really understand the spirit of indie filmmaking because it is based on a lot of social contracts um and a lot of that as well um so I don't, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. What was the, uh, so why should I not? Why should you not do a Kickstarter? You know, where is the PTSD coming from? Yeah, <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it's um, why should you not do it? Or like, what it's about really, it was um, the parts of it that were the most stress-inducing? And well, I think yeah, even just getting to the point, we were just getting frustrated with a lot of these movie meetings. Essentially, these kind of like in movie meetings, I mean, the more established. Uh, industry folks because they have you know all their metrics and all these things to tell you why your movie's gonna not do well and whatnot um, so again Kickstarter was a resort where we had our backs against the wall to just like you know let's do it like we know we're we have we're doing something that we can believe in and we know people once they see it they'll they'll buy in um, so it's it it's not something that we thought of like oh let's just do a Kickstarter it's just kind of at a point in our our stream, our business stream, if you will, that it just came out as a point of necessity. I was thinking also that as somebody, you know, who likes to be under the radar and not have expectations that the Kickstarter yeah, is a perfect way to... You know, yeah, I mean, so yeah, just psychologically, it's, there's that. And, the, you know, it's just trying to deal with... Um, social media is a funny beast as well with algorithms not fully pushing out your posts because you now you have to promote or pay for it. And, you know... Depending on the algorithm, maybe some people saw our posts every damn day and knew that there was a Kickstarter going, but I had some friends who honestly said, like, oh, you're doing a Kickstarter. And it was, like, day 30 of 35 or whatever. It's like, they clearly had no idea. Either they're not on Facebook or they weren't 
but we were blasting it and we were thinking, oh my gosh, this is too much, but really it actually isn't. So it's that weird kind of like um, bubble that you have to kind of cross over and just accept that, you know, it's better to be in everybody's faces and because you don't know what's going to land, especially with all these um, social media algorithms and stuff like that. So that's kind of like, again, just kind of going to a show of excessive force and not being shy about it. I think that's the thing. The psychological thing, I think it's just, you know, it's just trenched how, how are you going to get it? Um, uh, I think I posted on our, our one of the Instagrams or something, but we had a little pie chart, or not a pie chart, but a line graph of how we were doing from day one to day 35. And literally, like, it was a spike from one, day one to day five, but there was a whole plateau from about day five to day 30. And then it spiked. And I swear to God, that was all organic. Like, nothing was nothing was manufactured on our end. And it was just like you were sitting for 20 days and just sweating bullets. And it was one of those things, like, I, I knew we were going to hit it, but I didn't know how. And I think that's where the psychological kind of, like, stress can come from. Because you don't really... You just see this thing and you just know the possibilities and you just kind of believe in it. But again, it's just like people do forget. People forget in the last three days of campaign. They're like, oh my gosh, I, I got to put in. So um, you just have to kind of trust that. And uh, the Kickstarter, I'm sure, has caused many aneurysms along the way. Um, I don't know if they answered your question again, why you shouldn't do it. I think it's at the end of the day, if the necessity proves itself. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ever suggest anyone to go into it voluntarily or... Or, but if the business model like requires you know to cross that hurdle to create that audience, then you just kind of buckle down and yeah. do it. It sounds like you know, like Kickstarter is not just uh, oh, here's free money without any obligations. It's actually <clears throat> you know you're creating expectations, social contract. Yeah, you're putting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's something that should not be done lightly. Yeah, I think it's important, especially. It's funny. You get people, you know, when you have bigger money or film f- film money, and they they say, well, why don't you do a Kickstarter? They don't say it because, like, oh, yeah, it's it's good for the audience. They don't think that because they think if you get a Kickstarter, that chips away from their risk because Kickstarter is basically not equity in, 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 in the film or in the product. So now that means that protects their share, their risk of investing. So they look at it as a very... Um, almost you know, like charts they look at it as like yeah just do kickstarter but that's not the relationship that you want to have for crowdfunding as as the business owner as the as the, the person who, who's actually making the product yeah so, i mean i would imagine the investor is just the person that wants some return on investment yep. nobody knows about them but you yeah. are putting your name your face everything exactly. about you on the line exactly so those are all kind of again the hidden levers that are very powerful if you respect it and believe in it and they're again like you were saying more powerful than any contract really i mean contracts are broken day and night nobody sees that but people see a kickstarter fail or a kickstarter not get made that's visible that's a footprint um so it's a totally different thing especially for us as we want to continue and make films we don't want to just make one film we want to keep making films for the rest of our lives um, yeah, so I, again, I, I, uh, I hope we get money from Kickstarter because I'm really plugging them quite a bit here. And I yeah, well, we <laughs> shout out to Kickstarter, them. shout out to Kickstarter. <laughs> and yeah, see. but yeah, it's like, again, it was just going in anything about the platform, whatever, but those are all kind of the, again, the, the, the levers outside that just happened by, because it's crowdfunding and because it's public. So got it. Um, before you mentioned that a lot of the traditional studios, um, you had a hard time getting money from because you know they weren't comfortable with, for example, your mixed uh, crew mm-hmm. of actors. And actually, that's something that my previous guest Vivian Hua asked her um, if there's anything I should ask you, and she brought up that you know you do shoot with these mixed crews, and <laughs> and I'm wondering like, is this something that is important to you, like for there to be this diversity in your films, and like how this got charted and why it's important. Yeah, I think it just comes from a place of authenticity for me. I never really thought of myself as, you know, raising this diversity flag and just like, you know, being real, um, I guess, how would you say, activist about it. Uh, you know, I just felt organic, like I want to have people, black or white or yellow or whatever, that had an attitude of work ethic and, and you know, inclusiveness and family and we're all in this together and making looking out for each other but also wanting to put everything on the floor to make this movie the best possible way. And for me, 
it seems the mode is a lot of times uh, people of color have something to prove and they have to work a little bit harder to make that point. And that work ethic is built in and very apparent and leaps out. So I think that's where we kind of gravitate towards each other in terms of building a crew and my team is that we kind of like are on that same wavelength um, where nothing is earned. You know, everything has to be fought for. Um, so I think that's kind of like, I guess just by, by what's that thing, you know, like energy attracts like energy in a way. So you just kind of find each other, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to hire strictly by race, um, but it just kind of happens organically that way. Um, and yeah, I just think it's just, uh, it's a vibe that you want to create as a whole. Um, and I think also nowadays it's something that we could also use more of. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it was just, we were just remarking the other day about like how we had some crew that were coming on board and this is like their first time that they were in a crew with, uh, other, other ethnicities or, you know, other similar, the same ethnicities as themselves. And it was just because usually they're in a room with white or a crew with white crew and whatever. So even just that, having them have that visibility and know that it can be possible because film crews are very hierarchical. And if you're starting out, like just be able to see people in creative positions is really key and important. Um, one of our actors uh, that we had shot with, um, he was just, I saw a couple of tweets that he was writing. Um, he's an actor and he was going out for the script that had like a part that was just basically a white guy. Like it said, like, um, I don't know if it said white guy, but it was just kind of very generically written as far as the description. But when he came to the auditions, when you go to auditions, you're going to see a lot of people that are also up for the same part. So you would think they'd all kind of look like each other, but there was a room full of like white guys. He's, a, he's Asian. There's a room full of white guys. And he was like, he started kind of looking at the script and he was like, I don't, is this, am I in the right place? And why not? So he goes into the audition and when you see, go to the audition, you see a table of all the stakeholders, the producers, the directors, the writers, and he sees like one Asian guy producer at the table. And for him, it just kind of clicked like that guy advocated to the agencies or the talent agencies they bring in, you know, more than what's expected on the page because there is a default whiteness again, to, to filmmaking or scripts. If you don't write it as a minority or as a, a character of color, guess what? The talent agents, the casting directors are going to you know, bring you all Archies. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's like there's a default whiteness is kind of a blind spot a huge way. So he just kind of recognized, again, someone was looking out for him. Um, so I think it's, that's really important for the crew to see that we're looking out for each other in that regard. Yeah, definitely. Um, for this film, you know, let's say that, you know, you finish raising all the money that you need and you shoot it and it goes mm -hmm. out. What does success look like for you? Um, trillions and trillions of dollars, um, preferably all in cash. Okay. Wheelbarrows, maybe delivered morning, day and night. <laughs> um, success is interesting. I think for us, we do want to basically return on investors. I think that's the diligence that we have to be able to think about and not just think around um, and make, you know, oh, here's a movie, just, just and take, you know, four years to edit or something. Like, we have to give a return or at least make a go at trying to return people's trust and faith in us. And that's very key to us because you're entrusted with this thing. It's like it's not just play money you can make a movie with. So uh, we take that very seriously. So success to me is just being able to do that. Uh, film is very risky and we all know all the highs and lows and all our investors and supporters know that. So, but you know, it's just, we do want to make the effort, right? Um, and by that, I think to that is tied up just to making a good quality film. We don't want to chase the market and try to just get a return for the sake of return. So it's kind of all kind of intertwined in the sense that we want to make a return on our investors because we want to make the great movie that they believed in us to make. And hopefully that's going to take care of itself in the end. So success at the end of the day, you know, that's if you can hold yourself high after you do that, I think that's, that's all you can do. So before you decided to um, go ahead with this film, you worked um, in editing goals and other goals in various other films. Yeah. What, um, was there an event or like, what was it that 
made you decide that now was the time when you were ready to do your own? Yeah. So, I mean, um, I went back to Vietnam and I edited or I cut a few features out there. Um, and not just for film, but there's a whole wave of first generation, second generation Asian Americans, or, you know, even other, many other uh, ethnicities going back to their home countries to find work opportunities, um, whether because there's more opportunity there or there's a glass ceiling that they hit here, and particularly Hollywood, that's a very common thing. So a lot of people have gone back to Vietnam, and as you see, Taiwan or China or Korea, Japan, like, you know, there's quite a few young folks who are American-educated, American-born, or um, and spending time in building their careers there. Um, so, yeah, it was part of that wave, really, and just kind of, like, being on the ground. And uh, I think Vietnam has so much... Potential. It's very exciting. It's definitely the wild, wild west out there, as far as uh, you know what what you can do. Um, so yeah, and but I came out as an editor, and becomes kind of a thing where you become more an editor, and you get seen as an editor, and you get a lot of offers based around editor, but no one's really seeing you as a director. And I think that was an important thing where I was just kind of coming out to do a few things, and I didn't want to stick around too long. Uh, I still, you know, I still get pinged for some editor stuff. Uh, now and they're like, oh, oh, you're in the back in the U.S. So it was a kind of a conscious decision to come back to the U.S., but also with a script that, uh, as they described, is a very much of a immigrant American story. It wasn't a story that I could just retranslate and make in Vietnam. Um, but yeah, I mean, to the to that thing, it was just uh, it's really exciting. I mean, you can that's a studio level picture for much smaller budgets, but you can get a lot more done, and a lot of great films have been made in those regions. Um, one thing I think I got about Paper Tigers is that this script was four years in the making. Yeah. And I'm curious, when you like were writing the script, what did those sessions look like? Did you, um, you know, write a little bit, come back to it in a month? Were you like constantly tripping away at it? But what was that writing process like for you? Yeah, it was a lot of fits and starts. You know, like I said, I was pitching this. Uh, we had a treatment, and we were pitching it uh, maybe early 2012, 2013. Um, and, uh, it just took time to like get your bearings and do the research and cause we really, really wanted to be really air, fair and accurate to a lot of the Kung Fu culture. Uh, but especially here in, in, in America, cause that's almost a different world than if it was Kung Fu in Hong Kong or Kung Fu in China. Uh, it was kind of a different thing. Um, but anyways, uh, it's. It, it was places where I was writing, and then, as I said, I had to go. I went to Vietnam to do working, so it's like kind of paused and came back to it, and then went pause and come back to it. But to, yeah, like to that what I was saying before, it came to a point where it's like I gotta make my movie. So then it was just really sitting down and actually like polishing. I think I had a draft quite a few times. I, already, I think I already had some drafts by the time I was still working. Um, but I just, it was just came to a point of like coming back and doing revising. Because to me, the work is an iteration. I really believe in iteration. So for a person who's not able to kind of keep sitting down and iterating, that's very frustrating. So um, you have to kind of sit down and really wrestle with it. Having done, well, having done um, editing and writing and now directing, and I'm wondering, like, what um, have been some of your biggest like takeaways or like lessons that you know if you could do this again like what um would you want to tell the ballot has just graduated from <laughs> yeah. college like hey yeah. like these are things that you should watch out yeah. for buy stocks on amazon hmm. that's what i said <laughs> they have good deals yeah, on good deal. back then it was savings huge savings um <sighs> um yeah, I think every lesson is learned in its own time. And I think it's always a little hard to kind of look back retrospectively and think about what could have been done. Uh, maybe I could have saved my time in <laughs> a lot of different things, but maybe those lessons wouldn't have been learned. Um, I think it was... I think at the end of the day, it's the lessons that I was just telling someone the other day. It's not a new lesson that you're learning. It's the same lesson you're learn relearning in a deeper way. And for me, the theme is that it's not, it can't be made without you. So if we say quit or if we stop, it's not going to get made. Simple as that. There's no secret to success, but there's 
there's definitely a formula for failure, which is not doing it. Um, so nobody's guaranteed and nobody's given anything, but if you have to be in love with it and you have to do it, um, and that's what I mean is it helps you get through failures, but also gets through rejection because that's part of the life. Cause if you do this for validation or like that constant, like, yes, like <laughs> find something else. Cause it's just all rejection 99.999% of the time. And you have to be okay with that because it's about the work and not necessarily the acceptance of the work. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's your story that you want to tell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very, um, I have edges too. When I look at other films, I get, I get, I start nitpicking, but you know, I, I try to be really conscious because everybody's trying to, nobody sets out to make a bad movie. You know, no one intentionally, like there's incompetence and there's like whatever. Um, there's clear commercial moves and stuff like that. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, people are trying to do something that, that, you know, could be entertaining at the very least. So I would never knock anything that doesn't really work at the end of the day. It's just not your cup of tea. Um, and there's, it's plenty of, there's a big enough world for someone to find and enjoy it. So, yeah, you, you know, <clears throat> what is it? Over seven, eight billion people in the world. Um, I can, I mean, your story will definitely resonate and it has resonated with at least one person. All right. I'm sure. By eight billion. It'd be great. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I strive to. I think Jackie Chan or Charlie Chaplin, uh, like, they understood movies on a global scale and what it could mean beyond language. And I think that's what I would strive to as film and not, um, and just be aware of like, you're trying to reach the world. We're not making films here for Seattle. We're not making films for, you know, our friends and just that where we want to make and entertain the world who don't know us and just see, you know, what's on the screen. And that to me is that storytelling. That's the power of it. Um, Brad Bird, you know, Brad Bird who, um, not personally. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I call him, Braddy B, Braddy B, no. Uh, well, he directed um, Ratatouille, Incredibles, and uh, my favorite, Iron Giant. Um, mm. But he said one of his mantras is, um, your job is to tell campfire stories, and your campfire is as big as the world. So, um, yeah, I just thought that was, that was a great succinct way to kind of put what we're trying to do. Yeah, I think especially nowadays with... Um, like the internet and technology and how connected everyone is, is that you can get your story out to the world. Um, mm -hmm. And I think nowadays there are unfortunately a lot of stories out in the world that don't necessarily bring out the best in people sure. or the best of feelings. And so I think, you know, better stories need to be told and um, <clears throat> I yeah, look forward I to the ones you're going to tell. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think there's a distinction. It feels like we want to be, there's a difference between thinking foreign and thinking global. And by that, I mean, <laughs> we do a Kung Fu movie and a lot of notes or suggestions like, well, this is great in China. You should get Chinese money. This will do great. <laughs> you know, find a way that this will just make a splash in China. But to me, like they're thinking, oh, I'm thinking the world, right? I'm thinking of this country halfway around the world. But to me, that's that's still cutting the pie. You want to think about how the whole world is going to take this movie. And again, just like you're trying to compete at a bigger and higher level and not just be so provincial. Because, um, you know, there's in Hollywood right now, there's a lot of, I'm sure in tech as well, chasing China and trying to court China and just do all those things. But it's just very, it's like chasing a trend. But if you think about the important things first and make your movie that can entertain and relate to people all around the world that then everything else will take care of itself. And, uh, excuse me. And for you specifically, do you see your genre as, you know, primarily in the action movie space? Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, it's just from craft wise is something that I know really well and I, I can do. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's stories. Like, it's really stories that we're dealing with. Um, for me, the action or comedy or something, it's kind of the easiest way to kind of be able to make it relatable. Um, so I just kind of work inside out. But it is, the action movie is, to me, action and maybe horror. Yeah, I think horror as well. I'm not a horror guy, but uh, I think those are the type of genres that are really... And comedy, physical comedy, is stuff that um, really can translate or need no translations. It's universal. It's, it's purely universal. And to me, I think that's 
I, lo- I think Hitchcock said, you know, I, w- I want the audience to laugh and scream in Tokyo and in India and London at the same time. Like, that's what you should be thinking about when you make the movie because how it can impact humans everywhere and not just this, this pocket of people. Um, uh, I don't know if this is universal, but I do know that when I was here, um, my family used to watch America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah. And so it's just a show where people submit videos yeah. that they've taken. And for some reason that I still don't understand, they would always do like long montages of basically guys getting hit in the crotch yeah. by various things. Yeah. And it was hilarious. <laughs> and I laughed and the people on the show laughed. But it's like when I started yeah. thinking about it, yeah. like, wow, that's really messed up. Like, I wouldn't want that. On I think it's people. hilarious. still funny. But like, why is it funny? <laughs> and it is. It's like instinct, yeah. instinctual. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Well, I think Chaplin has it. It's, it's a thing about how we kind of view power and status and also something that we can relate pain. But if pain is going through another person's body, there's a, there's something about that. But I think Chaplin, I'm kind of butchering it, but I think Chaplin had a thing where, um, what is it? Gosh. I'm not, well, yeah, I think he's, he was trying to define difference between comedy and tragedy or comedy or farce or something like that. But basically it's like, if there's a banana peel and a, a rich man slips on the banana peel, it's like, it's a, it's a farce or whatever. But if the rich man finds a banana peel, walks around it and then falls into a manhole, mm. that's comedy. It's like, there's something about like something that feels constructed that we know that builds up to something because it happened to work for It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Maybe if he got hit in the, in the groin by football. That'd be even better. So yeah, the next the next version. <laughs> um, we talked a lot about storytelling, yeah. and I'm wondering um, what do you look for in a story, or what elements of stories speak most to you? Uh, I think any stories that kind of remind us how to be human, or just anything that you know, if I can relate to it, that means it's working at some emotional level. So I guess I don't think too hard as far as what what's happening there. I think as long as you can kind of kind of get to there, um, even just laughing. I'm not saying people should be crying at every movie and just like you know even a laugh or a, a, a gasp or a, a, a scream of fright or whatever. I mean those are all very visceral things that you know everyone can respond to. So that's the power of film. Um, I um I think it's Inside Out by Pixar. Yeah. Um that was I remember going to that movie and I was sitting next to this uh big guy that had like tattoos <laughs> on his arms and his <laughs> face and looked like somebody that, you know, like like went to jail for like some time sure, or like sure. um and I remember there was a scene that was like particularly sad and like he was crying. And yeah. it was just one of those like you know, like here we're watching something like of fictional people that have never existed yeah. that are just some like lights on the screen but like through this story this like really huge dude who could crush me with his like bare hands is like having this emotional reaction like to the story to this thing that is um being told that is completely real love it yeah i love yeah. it um yeah i mean honestly you touch upon right now this there's a big um upheaval between watching a movie in a theater or watching it at home and, and Netflix and chill, right? Um, I just think the theater experience is just un, unsurpassed. Like, to walk in the room with strangers and that for you to have, you know, that connective, empathetic moment with a, you know, a person that you would think is totally opposite from you from this story, I think that's, that's powerful. And that's really... Um, uh, really just kind of the core of why I want to make movies because I still kind of always I look for that high I want to hear the audience laugh and I want to hear the audience you know react to something that I made and I, I always kind of like we're always mindful how the audience is going to take something so I'm, I'm less I guess art, what's the word some people are very um, think about their art and kind of a little bit more in not inverted but a little more focused on what they want to do and I've never really it's it's a different way of working so I always think about what the audience um, might want or might enjoy or might want to see and then you kind of like pull the strings to get there but yeah to the point it's just like but you get you lose that honestly you sit home and watch and you pause and you're checking your text messages and going to the bathroom and 
I'm guilty of it. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying it's anyone's. Yeah, it's, but it to be in a room, uh, captivated, literally a captivated audience with people you don't know. I think that's wow. That's that's magic. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, honestly, it's getting suckier and suckier <laughs> as an experience because people are on their phone. This guy's Bluetooth is flashing and whatnot. So it's. Uh, it's uh, that's been kind of the shame as far as the theater experience in a lot of ways. But I do think if it's a good movie and it's good, everyone will be paying attention and watching. So yeah, and you know, I am very much looking forward to seeing Paper Tigers on that screen. Yeah, let's do it. Um, and in the meantime, we're getting close to the end of the show, and so I have a set of closing questions I ask all my guests. Sure. And my first one is, what is something that has recently inspired you? Oh, my goodness. What inspired me? I think I really enjoy when you see something, you listen to something, and you can kind of see... Maybe this is kind of a little bit more elaborate, but as an artist or a craftsperson, you're always looking... I'm always looking for the work. Um, but an artist's goal is not to show the work. You're always trying to make it look seamless or make it look really like it was effortless. But you're always kind of trying to figure out and um, reverse engineer kind of how things were crafted. That's the way I kind of like look at things, not just for film, but I like to listen to music and just anything else, performance, and just seeing how... Oh, Beyonce. <laughs> There's the answer. I, I'm not... Um, I guess I should caveat. I'm not the biggest fan of Beyonce, but like just seeing her her homecoming, I think it was like really like impressive as far as what she put together as a show and just kind of like this whole... Um, tribute to historic black college culture and just the music and the drum lines and stuff like that. I think it was just very cohesive um, piece as a concert and a music performance. And it was just, uh, yeah, you just feel the theme come through. So I, I really appreciated that and enjoyed that. Um, yeah, and you know the work that went into it, even if it doesn't appear like... Oh, yeah, she busted her behind. Beehive. The beehive busted her behind, did I say that? Right? I don't know. But yeah, she she worked. She I guess she came off a pregnancy, just delivering twins or something. She lost a lot of weight um, um, to, to kind of get back into performance shape. Um, but yeah, I mean, that level of performance, I think ha- there's not a lot of that. It, um, so when you see it authentically and well done, you're like... Yeah, because we or get there's a lot of auto tune and all that stuff going on. So when you just see something well done and put together, so that's what inspired me. Yeah. <laughs> Long story short, I think that's beautiful. Netflix, yeah. check it out now. Yeah, that's always that. Yeah. Um, my next question: What is something that people who know you might be surprised by? Like people who know me. So what is the surprising is fact that people might not know about you? Um, hmm. That I'm a scientist. It shocks people when I tell people I'm a computer scientist, and I stand by that because I, I have a degree that tells me I'm a man of science. Right, and that validates. <laughs> that of course, validates. You know, In fact, it bolsters every opinion that I have about anything, really, even beyond scope, just about climate change or genetic engineering i'm well, a scientist i i can i can speak about these matters if you want to raise money just you know, <laughs> tell them that you're doing it with ai and blockchain exactly and, yeah and such as yeah. blockchains yes um yeah i think uh, people just kind of see this fully formed filmmaker but you know you know there's a lot of things that you know when you unpack that go into you know where we are where i am now um so yeah i do have a computer science degree and i won't let people forget it Okay, sounds like a plan. Uh, my next question, what is uh, a principle that you live by? Oh, gosh, principle. Um, golden rule, I think, is a pretty good <laughs> measure. I think at the end of the day, um, it's a measure of empathy and how you, how you want to be treated. Um, I think it's also, it's not meant to be a wimpy rule. It's actually very rigorous. Um, because when it goes wrong, and I think we all know the feeling of being treated separately or being treated as lesser or even friends backstabbing friends, because let's be honest, in this industry, it happens quite a bit. And uh, um, it happens more often than it should, unfortunately. But um, trying to live by the golden rule, you start to um, clarify the people around you. 
And maybe that speaks to, you know, where I am, but it really does form the team that you want to work with because life is too short and you want to be around the people that are going to add to your lifespan and not decrease it. Um, and hopefully that all carries forward. I think it's just a hard thing um, to really live by. But if you have other people keeping you accountable, that's good too. Yeah. You only have so much time and you want to make sure that. Yeah. Yeah, those wheelbarrows of money aren't just no, no, push no. themselves. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just have one more question before I let you go, and this one's open-ended. And So is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to speak to now? Oh, let me talk about genetic engineering as a computer scientist. Please do, you yeah, have a degree. Yes, so. um, blockchains, such as. Um, no, I think... Um, I think uh, hope people can support the film and <laughs> enjoy it in any way. And uh, we still need help. And when we go into production, that's going to be a lot of help that uh, we'll still put out and have to put it as an ask. We're we'll shooting here in Seattle. Um, so feel free to reach out and talk to us and how you can help us, help us help you. Um, that's, that's a clear call to action. I feel like you covered a lot of the topics, so I think um, that's a good way to, to end it. All right, and we'll have notes on the we'll have show notes on your contact, and as well as ways people can donate. So you can find all that on the website as well. Yes, thank you. All right. Well, in the meanwhile, Bao, thank you so much for taking the time, and I've had a blast. Cheers. Thank you. I had a blast too. Thanks. Hey everyone, this is Kevin again. Which is a few more things before you go. First of all, thanks for listening, and if you want to support the show, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple or Google Play. That really helps other people find this show. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time, hope you have some great conversations.